When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the 360 Recruiting Podcast, presented by Sooners 360. I'm your host, Matt, joined as usual by my co-host, Chris Mason, our lead recruiting analyst over at Sooners 360, and Caleb Cummings, a.k.a. Mr. 55, Sooners 360's film guru. Thank you for joining us for episode number 17. We're calling this one, The SEC Begins and Rivals Rankings Madness. Before we get to that, just a reminder to subscribe to the 360 Recruiting Podcast on your favorite platform of choice. Uh, This episode, we're going heavy on the 2024 class uh, for the first half of it. Uh, Sorry, guys, no portal talk this time. Uh, And we'll start. We'll go ahead and jump in right away, just like we seemingly do every week with a bit of news on one of OU's quarterback targets. Chris, uh, there's been some questions about Michael Hawkins and his eligibility has recently transferred to Frisco Emerson from Allen. He had a hearing recently, I believe uh, yesterday, uh, an appeal on the decision to possibly hold him out. He did win that appeal five to one. So that's good news. Hawkins will be able to play his senior year. His brother was actually part of that appeal as well. He got granted eligibility. Uh, so great news for the Hawkins family. Uh, great news for uh, Lebby. He gets another season of tape to to evaluate Hawkins. If Hawkins does eventually commit, uh, he has um, you know some more tape, some more things to work on with him. Uh, what else is new with Hawkins, Chris? Well, he's having a really good spring so far. Um, there's some footage of uh, footage of him on Twitter. He was at a recent seven-on-seven seven tourney, and he's throwing the ball, you know, just like seven-on-seven seven should be. But he was able to lead his team back from an 18-point deficit to win the tournament. And just, you know, on Twitter, in a seven-on-seven, seven, you know, quick videos on Twitter in a seven-on-seven seven kind of environment. He looks really good. He looks he looks to be about 6'2", 6'3", now. I think he's grown a little bit. He looks slightly bigger in his frame, but his accuracy is excellent. His timing looks really good. Um, it's 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 not seven. It's not eleven on eleven with pads, but in terms of everything he can do since he started this season, uh, he's looked really good at every event he's gone to. So it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if maybe Michael Hawkins is poised for uh, a big spring and summer. Well, we'll the 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 elite eleven. Uh, camp event that's probably coming up 
uh, in Dallas. That's the one that Jackson Arnold qualified in last year. Should be coming up sometime, I think, in March or early April. That will be the real that's about to be the real first big test. But it looks like he's having it looks like he's he's rebounding from, you know, maybe just kind of a lost season uh, at Allen last year. And we had uh, the new Rivals 250 come out. Um, I, I think he got a nice little bump up there to 144 overall in the rankings, uh, 22 position bump. Uh, Chris, are there are there any other notable movements for OU targets from the Rivals 250? Well, to be honest, Rivals has always kind of been known as maybe the more conservative of the of the three major ranking organizations, two four sevens willing to kind of shuffle things up a little bit. On three is just willing to basically blank slate stuff completely, and then rivals is sort of known as well. We'll make some changes here. We'll make some changes there. But for the most part, what we think, what we our first rankings are going to change a little bit in our second rankings. And then we'll change the money and we'll do some incremental upgrades, but they're not going to make big shifts. Well, in my opinion, this is the first time Rivals has made some significant changes and some rather some rather big shifts. So the the first group really is um, folks that have entered the top 50 and were not in the top 50 before. And one example of that is Blake Frazier. Uh, an offensive tackle from uh, Austin Vandergriff. He's about 6'6", 160. He sort of fits in our in our Caleb ideal model of an offensive tackle. And he's jumped all the way f- uh, out of the top 50 to number 52. Um, Big-time OU wide receiver target Zion Kearney somehow wasn't in the rival's top 250. Um, now he's 128. He's the wide receiver from Missouri City, Texas, which is uh, – basically Houston. And then one of Caleb's favorite uh, people on film, um, defensive end Benedict Yuma from Connecticut. Um, Connecticut, Avon Farms, uh, the, the the fabled winged, winged beavers of Avon Farms. He jumped up to 139. Uh, another Caleb favorite, uh, Casey Poe, uh, the offensive guard from Lindell, Texas. It's been heavily rumored with OU and, and Bam and some other people. He jumped up to 150. And then Caden Durham, the running back from Duncanville that we've talked about on this podcast before. He finally is in the, the rivals to top 250. He's at 159. And then again, another player we've talked a lot about, Bryant Wesco, the six foot two, 185 pound wide receiver from Midlothian. He's now 165. And then an OU offer like out of nowhere yesterday, a defensive lineman. And I really thought we were done with new D-line offers for 2024 with how well Bates has been recruiting guys early and establishing a pool of people. But uh, OU just offered Terrence Hebler, and he's from Lexington, Mississippi. And he jumped all the way up to number 54 from nowhere. And he's uh, 247 hasn't updated their rankings yet. And Hibbler right now is the number thousand player in the nation, thousand like eighty five on two four seven. So um, a rather significant disparity between rivals and two four seven right now with the way the rankings have gone. But uh, Caleb, anything jump out at you that that you kind of think? Well, this was good, but you know, rivals is still kind of missing the boat. 
Yeah, I mean, so you, you, I would say you touched on the guys that I, I really like. So props, I appreciate the props there <laughs> uh, because Blake Frazier, it's funny. So his, he plays right tackle with Vandegrift, the left tackle. He signed with Clemson. His name uh, is going over my head here. But he was a guy I thought Oklahoma might recruit last year. Looked like more of an interior player uh, as opposed to left tackle. But again, four-star, really good player. But Frazier, Love the kid on film. Uma, everything you want, right, in my mind, from like his ability to play with natural bend and explosive, twitchy for a uh, defensive lineman. But the one guy, I mean, rivals faulted him from unranked all the way to 159 is Caden Durham. And I still think that's extremely low. Uh, it, it's, I'm not quite sure I understand it unless there's something on his full on game film that you don't see, right? Maybe he struggles with uh, being as physical as he needs to be at five, nine and a half, five, 10, 180 pounds. But the reason it doesn't make sense to me is even just looking at the comps, you know, you, I, I wrote these down. So, you know, guys like JK Dobbins, like Seastrunk, Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor, both the last two who signed with Ohio State. Uh, and then even this year in the class of 2024 in the state of Texas, Taylor Tatum, right? He's ranked number 62, almost 100 spots in front of Caden Durham. And it's just Caden Durham went for, you know, 2,000 yards uh, all purpose uh, against top competition in the state of Texas. It's a 10-7 guy. Uh, and I know Tatum's a really good player. I, I just have a really it's it's I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that one feels like, you know, maybe you explained it on the front end, Chris, with at times rivals is maybe more conservative and they say, Hey, we're not gonna take a kid from unranked all the way to, you know, top seventy-five. But at the same time, you know, there's an offensive lineman that they took from unranked. There's multiple guys they took from unranked to top 50. Uh, the offensive lineman, Ian Moore, unranked to number 32 ranked player in the country. He's committed to Ohio State. So I, I, I didn't follow their logic in, in having Durham even that low. Yeah, because it's I think I think really the, the margin of difference between Taylor Tatum, uh, James Peoples and Durham is like razor thin. They pretty much should be whatever whatever ranking you mean Taylor, you know, you know, on the on the plotter, they should be really close to each other, right? It should be like 55, 57, 59, right? Or, you know, or if you think if you think Taylor's 67, then all right, Durham should be 69. But I think those three guys, you know, if you really think there's some huge difference between them, I'm not seeing it on film. I, I just don't I, there's I'm, I'm just not seeing it. Same, same. And, and like Taylor Tatum to me, like he's the one that kind of sticks out. And I will say on film, he shows to be a more physical guy than what Caden Durham shows on film. But I'll go back to this. And we talked about Durham a couple of weeks ago. The thing about Durham on film is you start to wonder if you just don't see it because he flat runs by everybody. Like it's some of it, it's just really impressive. You know, again, He's multiple times at 107, 10-7-1, 10-7-2 as a junior. He's just got, you know, breakneck speed and the ability to take it to the house. Uh I I don't it's yeah, you know that I I'm not sure how there's a, a hundred uh, you know, a hundred 
different player difference between those two. Cause it's usually pretty significant, right? You see yeah, yeah. those top 50, top 60 kids in the country. It's like, Hey, you are the elite of the elite. And then you get into like one, you know, one fifty to two fifty, and you're really splitting hairs. So I, I'm not sure how they see this really big golf between those two kids. So just a couple of issues. Ian Reed is the uh, player from Clemson last year, it. the offensive lineman. And one last uh, player to mention, because he does have an OU connection. He's visited OU quite a bit. Ty Anthony Smith, who I who I mentioned was unranked when we talked about him visiting uh at the end of January. And I said, that's not gonna, that's not gonna last uh based upon his film. And he's jumped up to 155, which I think is a pretty fair rating for a player that they just didn't have ranked, that was unranked at all. So I'm, I don't have a huge issue with that. Um, but again, he's an, a linebacker OU really, really likes. Well, Chris, were there any outside of kind of those main OU targets? Well, I guess we still have a few more to talk about, but what what were the biggest high climbers of note uh, in that updated 250? So in terms of OU offers, players that OU is sort of connected with, at least legitimately right now, the biggest climber was Justin Williams, an outside linebacker from Conroe, Texas. Rivals listed at 6'3", 185. I've seen him listed at 6'3", 215, and 6'3", 200. So I'm, I'm going to take the middle, the middle ground and just say he's around 200 pounds right now. He looks really good on film. And he jumped up 111 spots to the 22 ranking in the country, which puts him firmly in a, in a five-star spot. So I thought that was kind of strange a little bit. I mean, I like his film, but I, I, it wasn't, I don't watch his film and immediately go like, ah, five-star guy. Now, speaking of guys who should be five-star guys, um, Williams uh, Waneri moved up 54 spots to number 20. Uh, he's number three on on three and two, four, seven. So this is one of these cases where I think rivals is going to like last year with PJ Adebore incrementally move him up. And they've just started with one just earlier, right? He's, he was 54 and Adeware was like out of the top two fifty. So, but I think when on the fast track to being a top five player overall, and when from, um, Lee summit North in Missouri, where current Sooner Caden Green is from. So the next one's really interesting because there are differing opinions on this player is Zadavian Sims jumped up all the way to number 74. He jumped up 98 spots. Uh, and then a player we've talked about as well, Xavier Filsami, moved up 54 spots to number 82. And a lot of these guys had been... Um, you know, they had been on the, the we tend to we tend to default back to the composite rankings. A lot of those guys were being dragged down by the rivals rankings. So they're gonna see kind of a big composite jump. Uh they should see a big composite jump uh the next time two four seven updates their database with the rivals information. Caleb, any of those guys? Uh, we I I'm going to maybe send you in a particular direction. I was kind of surprised rivals fell in love with Sims that much. Yeah, no. You, so you posed this question, uh, you know, to me, and that's that's who I wrote down. I don't. Uh, I 
he was in Norman, what, a month ago? Uh, I don't know if it's even been. It probably hasn't been a month. Uh, been a few weeks. And you saw him in the Sooner uniform. And on the hoof, he looks fantastic. Uh, really good-looking player. Looked 6'4", 270-plus you know, pounds. Looks great. The problem I have, and it's like the inverse of Caden Durham, right? The problem I have with that ranking is, if you are a top 100 player in the country and you play defensive line against the, you know, he's at Durant. So against what it's, you know, Southern uh, and Southeastern Oklahoma high school football. Not, not great Oklahoma, not great Oklahoma football. Let's just yeah, be honest, I mean, right? Yeah. Okay. So here's, the, I'll, 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 this is maybe a good example. When I watched Eric McCarty at McAllister, who I think they're in the same district. When you watched him play that competition, it didn't matter who they were playing. He was far and away better than everybody, regardless of what side of the ball he was on. When he was a running back, it was, you know, touchdown after touchdown, special teams, he's blocking punts, safety, he's making plays, you know, all the way across the field. He's just everywhere. You watch Sims and you're left going like, man, he looks the part, but he's, like he's far from dominant. Uh, he's not a bad player, but my gosh, you know, again, high school football, that size, that athletic ability, uh, you, you just, you'd expect to see a guy who's physically dominating those around him. And, and you don't see that. So I, I, with him, I wonder if it's just, you know, you fall in love with the tool kit and you fall in love with, you know, the athletic profile and uh, it wouldn't be the first time rivals did not watch film. Yeah, and then, um, then I guess the last group um, to kind of comment on uh, Matt is there was some there was some you know elite players that just had some big drops, and the first one of note, which is interesting, um, Stacy Gage dropped down to number sixty four. Uh, Stacy is the is the running back from Florida we've talked about, who is originally from the state of Oklahoma. I think he's from Hugo, if I remember right. And he's he's kind of tumbling a little bit in the rankings on all the services. And then one I I gotta say I don't quite I don't quite grasp this. Um, Zena Umazulu from Allen, Texas, he dropped 117 spots down to 169. So he he's basically gone from being a fringe five star to you know middle you know middle pack of the of the four star group in the rankings another one I, I'm a little I'm a little confused about Peyton Pierce dropped 43 spots down to number 79 and he's the middle linebacker from Lovejoy Texas that we've talked about and then player we've talked a lot quite a bit about Aaron Flowers the DB from Forney he dropped 52 spots and he's now barely in the top 250 uh, at 248. So uh, again, Caleb, do you, out of that, which, which ones, which one sort of screams the strangest to you? Oh boy. Um, that's I get, interesting. I, I get, I get the gauge one, right? There's no film of him playing last year at Wharton. He's switching high schools. I, I get that one. The other three, I'm a little confused about. Well, I will say this for, uh, for, Zena, right? Uh, at Allen. I, I do. I wonder if his drop has less to do with his overall play and more to do with there being just a, I don't want to use the word a plethora because they're rare athletes that are 6'4, 215, 2, 
you know, 220 that can run. But you know, I think we've seen quite a few offers of guys kind of in that mold pop up. You know, guys we didn't see, you even know about. I know there's a, you know, a kid out of Florida. You've got Ross out of the Kansas City area. Uh, there's, there's just maybe, I wonder if his ranking has they ranked, more to do They with. ranked uh, the kid from Missouri. They bumped him up quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe it has to do with like, hey, there's some guys we didn't know existed effectively that we think are a little bit better. So you're going to slide a couple spots. The one that doesn't make sense to me, to your point, is Peyton Pierce. Because I kind of, again, go back to the whole the Durham thing uh, and some, you know, in Sims, right? The opposite of Sims in that regard. You pop the film on. It doesn't matter if he's playing wildcat quarterback or if he's playing, you know, uh, Mike linebacker, he's dominating in like football. He's, you can tell high football IQ. He, you know, he just, he's a fee ball, get ball guy. He kind of perfect Brent Venables linebacker. You, know, you can tell high, highly intelligent, really great instincts. So I don't understand how he's dropping a bunch of spots being, the physical specimen that he is, because I think a lot of times in the past, people would say a lot of the, you know, things I just said about, Oh, he's got great instincts. And, you know, he's, he's a lunch pail guy. Right? He's not, he's not that right. You watch, you look at him on the hoof and he's a, you know, he's a high end athlete, very well developed. He, he looks like the type of guy that is going to go spend, you know, uh, a lot of time in the NFL, just, you know, whether it's, just making a team on special teams or being a every down guy. So I, I don't, that one, that one surprises me. Uh, I don't really, I don't really understand him dropping. Yeah. I mean, he's a multi-sport athlete, you know, switched to linebacker because um, uh, his high school had quarter, had a, had a quarterback situation already established. So he's, you know, he's a track guy. He's just, it, it doesn't, I don't quite, I, maybe they can explain that later on, but I, I don't see that right now. So. Well, we've had a lot of additions that are OE recruits to the 250. And then you guys have mentioned these these wild swings, you know, up 111 spots, down 117 spots. Uh, we figured we'd play just a quick little little game show um, about this. We'll go ahead and just call it what the hell is rivals thinking? Um, you know, Caleb and Chris, we'll just kind of go through a couple questions about this ranking real quick. Um, Chris, we'll start with you. What's the best thing that rivals did with these new two, uh, 250 rankings, uh, bumping Williams one into five-star territory. Chris, do you agree? Well, I just answered that. Sorry, Caleb. I think Chris's answer was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I would. So I do as well, because I completely agree with that. Uh, I, you know, I mentioned this, I think, was it a couple of weeks ago uh, when we kind of covered defensive linemen? Man, he's, okay, he's extremely impressive. I mean, it, you can see kind of five-star written all over him. Football looks, it's really easy for him against good comp, and he's got all the ability in the world. So he deserves that ranking at this stage. I haven't seen a lot of guys that I would say are that much better than that kid. So he's likely not the answer to this next question. Uh, Caleb, we'll start with you this time. Most overrated kid right now. This one was actually really, really easy for me when I ran through it and looked at it. And I hope, I don't know that Chris is going to agree with this, but it was T.A. Cunningham for me. Uh, I, no, I, completely see, I completely see that, right? He's Okay. 
he's not the guy he was last year. Maybe he can put he can recover this, but that's a hot mess right now. Oh man, I I don't know if he had. A, I'm just going to assume there was like a knee injury or there was something because when you watch his film. I mean, one of the words, first thing that sticks out, it's odd to me. He's really stiff-legged, uh, almost like just naturally wants to bend at the waist. And for a six-six defensive tackle, oh, my God, like that's trouble uh, for him. And so, yeah, I, for him to be ranked 40th in the country, which, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking elite territory, right? Most people will say, you know, top 50, it kind of grouped together to some regards, you know, maybe there's a, a two groups as a top 25 and the top 50. And then there's usually a, a big gap between let's say top 50 and, and the next, you know, next 50 or whatever it is. Uh, him being ranked 40th is pretty shocking. So um, Caleb, I wonder if, if rivals is not, a lot of the other services have, have dropped TA further. So I'm kind of wondering if rivals is kind of like taking a middle point and maybe hoping that, Maybe his situation stabilizes and they'll catch him in a camp setting and they can they can sort of like be like, well, we, we didn't drop him too low. But um, for right now, he, he he looks too high, but we'll see. Yeah. I, you know, I wonder if it's that. And then the other thing, one of the kids you mentioned, Stacy Gage. I mean, this if we're being really, you know, just honest and realistic, there's no way Gage should be ranked 64th in the country. If you just look at his film and what he's done in high school. You know, look at a sophomore film splitting all that time at IMG, junior film at in his third high school, and he's again splitting time with another kid. And it's just not, you know, it just makes me wonder if, you know, at times a rival does not become a rivals does not become a prisoner to IDing kids when they're really young and then just hoping and saying, well, I know he's got it in him. It'll work out. And you're saying like, nah, that was just a kid that was fully grown at 14 or 15. He's everybody's past him. Yeah. For me, the overrated kid, and we'll see, he may be proved me completely wrong is I, I just don't see Justin Wilson, Justin Williams from Conroe going up 111 spots in the number 22 player in the nation. I mean, that's, that's high cotton. He's really good on film, but he's still a light linebacker. Um, it would be like saying Sam Omusigo was the number 22 player in the nation this time last, last February. And I, and I don't think you could have supported that claim. Um, they're fantastic athletes, but I don't know. He's just really light and, um, maybe I'll be proven. Maybe this will be an idiot comment four months from now, but right now to me, he looks overrated as the number 22 player in the nation. Well, yeah, though no, I mean I don't disagree. You see That's, him listed on some of those sites six two. I think one thing one one eighty five one eighty five. Yeah. Like, okay, is that his weight? Because if that's so, I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. You know, I remember that Auburn linebacker that everybody had ranked so high. Trey Blackman, and and you know, and the guy was like six one one eighty one ninety, and I'm like, shouldn't he be a little bigger to be a linebacker to be ranked this high? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing with him, you know, if you're, if you're that size, uh, that's, yeah, yeah you, you, you show me, you show me a camp video, he's two fifteen, and he's knocking folks around and be like, okay, well maybe I'll, maybe I'll back off that stance, but I just don't think right now in February, when we're really just talking about their high school seasons, we don't really have, we've not had any major camp events you know, where players have been matched up against good players at all. 
Um, for a linebacker position, I, you know, he doesn't look like Miles Graham, the guy from um, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Ernest Graham's kid who's going to Florida, who looks on film every bit 6'2", 215, and just knocking kids around. So, No, you know, it's a really good call out. I'm, I'm watching his film right now, uh, and I half expected him to be, I can't recall, the true freshman five-star that signed the LSU. Yes. And, he, and so I thought, okay, maybe he's going to be this edge that's really extremely long, like Perkins and twitched up. And you're, I'm watching, uh, you know, watching Williams and thinking, no, he's 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 playing traditional, more off the ball linebacker. And you're like, okay, how's Peyton Pierce? It's drop? good film. It's good film, it's good. but it's not. It, it's not like it's not like three plays. And I'm like, whoa, who is that guy? No, it's good film. It's not top twenty player in the country. Good. Well, I, I think Rivals had a, a recent local event in in uh, the DFW area, and I'm wondering if he showed up and you know maybe he he ran a good forty or something. And I don't and just, I don't remember him being listed as oh, one was of the he guys. not even there. I don't think he was there. There was a lot that that event did not have what I would call top 100 caliber. It wasn't loaded with top 100 caliber talent. There was a lot of a lot of sleepers, a lot of a lot of really good kids looking for scholarships. A lot of three-star kids, very good kids, not knocking them at all. Just not. I mean, you know, it didn't. It didn't have the names from the DFW area that that usually resonates in terms of the higher rankings. But you know, um, but yeah, maybe he was at that event. I just don't remember anyone talk. I don't remember a lot of updates or highlights that said, "Hey, Justin Will Williams is here." Wow, you know, okay. <laughs> Yeah, here's one for you, Chris. I, I would say anyone, you watch Justin Williams and then watch Sammy Brown right back to back. And then it's just not the same, man. And then you're telling me Williams is actually ranked in front of him. And to your point, one of them is 6'3, 230. The other one's 6'2, 190, 185. It's, uh, yeah, it's very much not the same. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not apples to apples. So well, that's what that's, I think that's where we are on the overrated stuff, man. Yeah, well, what's some some film that you guys really like, but doesn't quite match up where Rivals has them? You might think they're a little underrated. Well, I'll go first on this one. I'm going to steal Daniel. Even though I know OU has no chance of signing, uh, I'm going to steal Daniel Okoye. He's only 198. He has the frame, the offers. I, I don't know why you just don't safely put him in the top 100 and just just sit there for a while. Oh, I mean, he's six. Damn he's six. He's six five two thirty. Um, he he dom. He I mean he's 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 he. I mean he literally nearly got suspended for hitting a kid too hard in his league last year and got some criticism <laughs> about it until people came to his defense and said that's that's just football, man. I mean he he did the. You know, he he had a uh, the he he was the hammer. He was it was just like the same eight man football stuff from the from the hammer. Uh, our old friend, uh, our old friend from um, Ronell Lewis, of uh, Ronell Lewis, who killed the guy in sixth grade. Uh, kind of looked like that. So I mean, you know, he sure he plays in a in a, in a homeschool league, but he I mean he's just they might as well pick up a four guys in front of him. They're still not blocking him. And just just to be very clear. UGA and Alabama do not offer homeschool league defensive ends from Tulsa. They don't. 
And the fact they have, and they would take this kid, I bet they'd take his offer right now if he was willing to jump on it, says says it all. So 198, and when you when you are jumping it, when you know, when you're jumping other guys up to 50 and 54 and 35. It I'm, I'm, I'm baffled by what Rivals is doing there. They're just, just going to look silly this summer when he goes to some camp and just destroys elite competition and they're going to bump him up to 50 from 198. Oh, Caleb, yeah. it sounded like he stole yours. So do you, do you have Yeah, a, I made show a notes for this and he got me on that. <laughs> because to what? me, I, I said this, I think, when I saw him. You can, you can uh, take Okoye too. I'll find somebody else. You, you, t- you, you talk no, about no, your no, show no. notes on Okoye. No, he's, I mean, no, I just wrote down, I mean, I, I knew how I felt about the kid. Uh, I mean, to me, he's this year's version of P.J. Adebore. He's that type of, he's that type of physical specimen, that type of athlete, that type of twitch. Uh, maybe He's not quite as long as P.J., but he's, I mean, uh, help me, Chris, what's the, uh, in Pembe, Samuel and Pembe, that uh, yeah, kid, Samuel and, Yeah, Samuel and Pembe from, St. Louis who's at IMG and is now at UGA. Yeah, I, I would take Okoye over him, you know, and that's what I think. I think Okoye is a, he's a five-star eventually. Uh, he would probably be really good if he could land at IMG uh, and, and just get some work. It would help him a lot. But you know what? I'll take the ki- other kid I would put in there, and he wasn't even inside the 250. He wasn't. He's a three-star. But uh, we're talking linebackers, uh, Braden, Braden Platt. Uh, out of yeah. uh, out of Washington, state of Washington. The only one thing I wonder about him, he's really thick. He's 6'2", he's 230 pounds. Uh, you know, does he get, is he going to, you know, after a couple of years of being in a weight program, is he a guy you go like, hey, we're going to have to play you to H-back fullback because you're just so thick because he's muscled up kid. But uh, I don't, man, it, you've kind of got me on this, on that, on this, on this Williams run of I've, Thinking, watching his film and even comparing it to Platt and saying, how was Platt a three-star that's effectively unranked in these rankings, at least by rivals? He's a top 100 kid on 247. And then he's, you know, he's 6'2", 230. And then here's a kid who's 6'2", 185. And he's the number 22 ranked player in the country. So I think Platt, uh, we'll see. I know Oklahoma's offered. I don't know. Do you know if he's got a visit planned, Chris? I don't. He he seemed really high. There was an interview where he talked about he was really high and he knew the guys that we had pulled from Washington State. So he sort sort of, you know, was mentioning, hey, you know, they've 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 been pulling guys from Washington. That was kind of impressive. Um but you know, nothing, nothing too more than that. Um, I think one guy I'm gonna just real quick, Matt, I know we want to move on, is Isaiah McMorris, the wide receiver from Nebraska. He's still not even just a, fi- a regular five star. They still have him with a five point seven rating, and I just don't get that. He he well, looks really he looks fantastic on film. I I just don't understand why he's not why he can't at least be a five point eight low four star outside the top two fifty. I, I don't I don't see a I don't see a three star kid when I watch that kid play. Well, recently, I believe yesterday, he tweeted out uh, his visit list for the spring and summer, and it's you know the who's who of college football. So you know all the heavy hitters out there are after him. Uh, it kind of doesn't match up with that five seven rating. Uh, he will be at OU March thirty first per that Twitter post. 
Um, yep. So we'll be looking for that. Uh, Chris, are there a couple other March visitors that are kind of hitting the wire? Yeah, two big, three big names for March 5th being reported by other, other services. Uh, Michael Van Buren should be in Norman March 5th, and that's going to make things very interesting on the quarterback uh, recruiting picture because if Van Buren hits on the 5th and Hawkins is still debating and OU jumps, I think you could see Hawkins quickly getting his way back to Norman or OU decides, well, okay, let's 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 play the let's play Van Buren and Hawkins, you know, and see which way this recruiting goes. Uh, but the other two guys are big our offensive lineman Grant Bricks from Iowa. And um, sorry, on three was reporting the Michael Van Buren news. These last two nu- two nuggets are um, this nugget is from um 247. Grant Bricks, he's 6'6, 270. Uh, really good on film. He has that great frame, future frame that we've been talking about. He's a he's a three star right now. His film doesn't support that. He he has the frame to easily carry the athletic three hundred pounds that we've kind of been talking about as a theme. And then the other guy is a bigger guy, but he's a really good athlete on the on the hoof. It's Bennett Warren, and he posted this on Twitter that he'll be in Norman on March fifth. He's six eight three fifteen. He, he he so if Grant Bricks is sort of the the tight end that needs to bulk up kind of image, you know Bennett Morris looks like the NBA power forward playing that model, right? Guy who's six eight, six seven, you know, kind of like Guyton on our on our roster, who's super athletic, very fluid, and has a huge frame, which you could really just kind of do anything with. And then the last note is a guy we just talked about, Sammy Brown the middle linebacker from Georgia. Uh, He's from basically an hour south of Athens and loves Clemson. So you'd think OU has like no chance in hell, but uh, to to repeat the dumb and dumber line, uh, he's visiting Norman in March, has great connections to Brent Venables and Ted Roof. So I'm I'm saying maybe there's a chance. Maybe I'm saying there's a chance there. Uh, And he looks great on film. He would be a perfect fit for the OU defense. So uh, I think maybe it's a it's a long shot when you see the two teams they're competing with, but OU has the connections to maybe be that alternate choice. Maybe he wants to get away from maybe the he, those forces that sometimes hurt us locally. Maybe he wants to get away from uh, get away from uh, the Atlanta Athens area uh, for school. So those are the names. There are much more names coming, but those are those are some recent names that have been made public. Well, the name Sammy Brown you know, from Georgia kind of brings us to our next topic. Perfect segue here. Um, Obviously the recent news, OU Texas officially joining the SEC, uh, not at, or I guess officially in next June. Uh, So they'll play 2023 in the big 12. They'll move to the SEC in 2024, uh, which will be uh, this, this 2024 class coming in. They'll be the first class that OU will will take to the SEC. So, you know, naturally the question arises, how much of a boost could this move be for OU and for recruiting, especially in the the 2024 class, just to start it right off? Uh, Caleb, uh, what are your thoughts on moving to the SEC and what what kind of impact that might have on the recruiting trail? Yeah, you know, I think it's 
well, there's two parts to that. Uh, and we talk about this on, on the site and on the board. So if there's anyone, you know, doesn't listen to this and, you know, what's part of a good conversation, go there and check it out. Uh, so there's two parts to it. So one, I think I kind of established, I would say the number one thing that's going to help Oklahoma and drive kids in Norman is winning football games and winning football games at a high level, competing for championships. Like that's like that, that has to be the bare minimum. Like that's the barrier to entry. But if we're looking at how this could be impactful for Oklahoma, I think it could be massive. Uh, and, and here's, here's why. Right. So if you look at just kind of some of the numbers from what we see and whether it's demographic shifts or I don't know if there's just been a rise of Southern football the last 20 years with more money uh, pumped into earlier development of athletes. I'm not sure, but in 2023s on three, you know, they're top 300, right? So it's uh, they pull all the sites in and take a look at that. You look at the top states for talent producing, right? And it's Texas one, Florida two, Georgia three. So, you know, with a move to the SEC, Oklahoma is now a part of the conversation in every newspaper, on every television set when they talk sports with, you know, the three top talent producing states uh, in the country. You know, the, to go to number four, you got to go out to California. Right. So I, I think that just puts Oklahoma square in the middle of all of the talent. And it takes one of the rounds out of the chamber, so to speak, for those programs like let's say old miss who's you know beat oklahoma on jackson dart last year right it, it takes some of the ammo away from schools that have recruited against oklahoma for years and said hey you know you don't want to go play in the big 12 you're going to play one big game against texas you know you don't want to do that it's bad football well now you've got a blue bud entering the sec and they've got the ability to go into all those states you know mississippi louisiana but georgia and florida in particular uh, and, and really, and have, I'll be interested to see, cause you know, the other coaches will try to find a new chink in the armor. What will it be? Uh, but if Oklahoma's winning, you know, like I think we expect them to, uh, I could be a massive, massive, massive boost. Yeah. I think, you know, especially, you know, knowing that these kids grew up they're they're 16, 17, 18, well, they they probably started falling in love with football, you know, three or four years ago. Um, you had Baker Mayfield, you had uh, into Kyler Murray, into Jalen Hurts, and now Jalen Hurts is, you know, he made it to the Super Bowl. There's a lot of, of storylines just outside of this move that have have kept Oklahoma relevant, and then now you add that SEC patch to the chest, and the kids from Georgia, Alabama, like you're mentioning, they're, they're listening. And, and last year you kind of saw a little bit of this new wave where uh, Venables and company were, were really making Florida a priority. And we were starting to recruit and, and get down to the wire with a couple guys in sec territory that, you know, we haven't really been able to crack in the, the previous five, 10, whatever years. Um, I think the the potential SEC move was was probably a carrot that we were dangling to kind of get those relationships going. Um, but when when you're battling, you know, last year, guys like Vickers, uh, guys like Jacoby Johnson, you're battling Alabama, 
for these guys. Well, going forward, we're going to be battling Alabama for pretty much everybody we want. And that's a spot you want to be in. You want to see Alabama on that offer list. You want to see Georgia on that offer list. And OU as an already, you know, big national brand is now moving into that area. They're going to be playing games in Alabama, maybe even twice a year. They're going to be playing games in these regions. They're going to be on the TVs there. They're going to be playing against teams that these kids grew up around. You know, maybe overall, it's you're not going to recruit completely from the SEC. But we've talked about this before. It's it's a total numbers game. The more guys that you can add that are high quality from this region to your recruit board that are still there with six months to go to signing day, to early signing day, you're that much further ahead. And this move only puts more names on that board. And all those names are names that can win you a championship. So we saw, uh, you know, A&M recruited pretty well for the most part back in uh, the Big 12. Um, you know, they always kind of shocked you a little bit. They were never that great on the field, but could put together great recruiting classes every once in a while. They won a lot of head-to-head battles with OU. They got to the SEC. They started getting more traction, more top five classes. Last year, they signed the best class of all time without success on the field. So you saw a bump for them. Um, You might have seen a bump for Missouri. I'm not sure. I didn't really look into that. They weren't that great at recruiting before that anyway. Um, But they're not from a region that's talent-rich. Oklahoma has better access to Texas and Oklahoma is a better brand. So I think that A&M comparison is a little bit better. And we're Oklahoma. We have a better history than A&M. We have more success. And we have a trophy room with trophies. Exactly. So, um, you know, Chris, I don't, I don't, you think you, you live in the SEC territory. I don't know. Are you hearing OU's name come up a lot? I think, I think you see OU's name more and more, but I think the number one thing, I think how this boosts OU recruiting, and it's this year and for here on out, I'm not sure if you, you know, reading lots of updates or reading lots of interviews with kids, they, for, for a period of time, I got very frustrated that you would hear, a, especially defenders say, well, I, I want to play in the SEC because that's where the NFL will notice me, or that's where real defensive football is. And it was, and it always seemed to me to be a little. I'm like, man, that's such a fake. That's such a fake narrative. How do we get over that? And now we just don't have to worry about it any longer, right? That when we're recruiting, we don't have we we you know the the de- the defensive aura of the SEC just lifts us up a little bit, right? That we just get to say, hey, we're SEC football, so you know we're the home of real defense, and we're the home of NFL defensive players. So the best play in the SEC. So oh, you have you know has the best. So we just. That whole line of narrative that we saw from Texas kid after Texas kid, we'd even hear it from some in-state kids, it's just gone. And that can be nothing but a boost for OU recruiting this year. That when we're, we we need to high sign some defenders, and those defenders can say, well, uh, OU's in the SEC, so they must start be playing. They must, you know, if that that negative reaction against OU was was effective with some kids, now it's just disappeared. It's it's a race, yeah. basically a race, just wiped away. Even though it wasn't probably that, you know, you know, I mean, can't you can't you can't tell me Ole Miss is playing good defense 
Um, <laughs> no, when, you know what? Texas Tech is wiping the floor with them in the bowl game. But you know, yeah, you, if you if you remember, we heard that narrative from kid after kid after kid the last five years. You know, it's I, I wrote some stuff. Down. I looked some things up that I was curious on, and you guys touched on. I think. A number of them, right? So the thing I'm going to be really interested to see is kind of twofold, right? So, and and Matt, you mentioned like, hey, Oklahoma is Oklahoma. The brand is different. How does that expand over time? Because for the last, I don't know, let's say 12 years, somewhere in that time frame, there's actually been this infighting among TV networks of like, okay, yeah, the Oklahoma brand is big, but the SEC brand is big. And when we say this, it gets a rise out of people, right? So there's these competing narratives because, I mean, modern day TV is built on ad revenue. So you got to say the crazy thing to get people to watch. Uh how does that change moving forward when Oklahoma's not comp- having to play at 11 a.m. and c- competing against the SEC, you know, 2.30 game or competing against the SEC 7 o'clock game, w- but when they are that game? When or, even find, or, even find, or even find bombs not dragging us down and the Big 12 well, that's, down. That's the thing, know. right? Like. You know, in the future, this next year, I guess 2024, Feinbaum and the SEC has their own game day. They'll be in Norman for games. They'll be in Dallas for the, you know, OU Texas game. Like, it's, they're going to be – Oklahoma's suddenly going to go from everybody's pushing against them to try to keep them down to now, oh, you're a part of this team. We're going to push your brand because your brand sells. And I say that because I look at this, right, and you look at this past year – 11 of the top 23 most viewed college football games were SEC or including Oklahoma and Texas in that, right? Teams that were a part of the SEC, right? So five of the top 10 most viewed, I mean, you just, it's the five of the top 10 most viewed games were SEC teams. Again, I'm including Oklahoma and Texas in this kind of future view. And four of the other five games were involved either Michigan or Ohio State. So it's it's very, you know, kind of heavy at the top. But, you know, 20 of your other points there, Chris, right? You look at week one, 2022, opening day, NFL rosters. Alabama was one, 65 guys. LSU was two, 57. Then you have Ohio State at 56, Georgia, 48, Oklahoma at 40. Oklahoma did that, to, to your point, with over the last, you know, decade of all of those other schools fighting and pushing this narrative of the big 12 can't play defense. So, I mean, that's like Oklahoma basically had 40 guys in the NFL with one and a half sides of the football because their arm was tied behind their back recruiting defense. And now that goes away. And, and again, you now they've got that media machine of ESPN pushing the narrative of, Hey, this is where the best football is played. Oklahoma's here. Well, speaking of, you know, the quality on the field, uh, you know, if we start next year, obviously the 2023 high school class, plus some of these portal additions that'll be around for a few seasons, um, you know, they'll be carrying this team. They'll be a little bit more seasoned than the 2024 class. So is this, is that, that influx of talent? I think Brent said today in his press conference on June 1st, We'll have 37 new scholarship players going into the fall. Um, is this influx of talent enough to to join what OU might already have on the roster and you know make a difference in 2024 on the field? 
Chris, what do you think? I think the I think the portal additions that that will that will have eligibility into that year, and the high school class we just signed, I think it's enough to put us just within striking distance of of UGA and and Bama. I, I don't think it's I don't think if uh, I'm, I'm making a huge projection here. Let's just say Jackson Court Arnold is that quarterback. In the fall of 2024, um, if he hits, he clicks. By the end of the year, we 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 could put a scare into to Bama and Georgia. I think, but I think year one, if those players click, those portal additions click, I I can see an OU roster in my mind 2024 that's that's as competitive with the top with the very top of the SEC and just. Just, just outside the striking distance of of, of UGA and Bama, and uh, if, if Jackson Jackson Arnold becomes you know JFA on the field, um, I think you know you oh you could find I think oh you could upset one of those two teams you know in a game in Norman or in a one game SEC sort of championship kind of kind of model. But um, that, that's my that's my hopium filled answer to that question. Caleb, you you smoking that hopium too? Yeah, I you know I I don't even think it's really hopium. I think it's just like looking at historical what you would expect, and uh, I mean that's what it's going to be, right? Like this UGA team with Stetson Bennett is by and large the only group we've seen that's been able to win without like top QB play. You look at NFL rosters, uh, you know, with starters, and I mean it's Mac Jones and Tua. You know, or, or the guys, you got Joe Burrow, right? And the LSU couldn't win and they, they get the transfer out of Joe Burrow. So, you know, I, I would say. And he's, and really, he's looking like an NFL Hall of Fame quarterback, right? I mean. 100%. Yeah. I mean, he looks, it, it's, it's, he looks yeah. elite. I mean, he he lost the Super Bowl. He could, should have, maybe, well, maybe should have been another Super say Bowl. It. We'll leave that. Say in. it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean. Say it. So, Joe, Joe Burrow and. Trevor, you know, steal your thunder. Trevor Lawrence is looking elite, right? After the mm-hmm. the 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 Urban Meyer disaster stopped his development completely, um, you know. And our friend Jalen Hurts, I, I I didn't predict that. I didn't see that, right? But he he looks great. So you know, I to you know get back to your point, Caleb. But yeah, it's just you know Stetson Bennett's not going to get drafted in the first three rounds. He's not going to be an NFL quarterback. There, I said it. Yeah. I mean, but you know what? And, and part of me thought when I was looking at this, I'm looking at okay, let's look at quarterback play, SEC, Big Twelve over the last so however long. But Big Twelve's had a lot better quarterback play, a lot more high end quarterback play. Uh, and I'm starting to think, like, gosh, you know, does that put Oklahoma at risk? But then let's be really honest with ourselves. And I would say the last 20 years, Oklahoma's had unbelievably good quarterback play. When you go Josh Heupel, Jason White, uh, you know, you have Rhett and then Paul, then you move into Sam, right? And then, I mean, the worst, I mean, people would say, oh, you know, Landry's a big letdown. It's like, gosh, the guy owns every school record just about. Or we're we're, we're, back, we're nine to three Baker. with Landry Jones last year. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Is, is that a better. shocking thing to say? I mean, Landry. No, I think Rich, they're probably 10 tear, and two. If I'm, I think you're wrong. I think they're 10 and two. But He, he <laughs> tears up defenses in this, in this, in this scheme that, uh, Ledby wants to run. Landry throws the ball all over the field and getting hitting touchdowns left and right. 
Yeah, he can't run, but to your point, he had a big arm. He could spray the field. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it just comes down to, you know, Jackson Arnold has got to be – Oklahoma's got to have great quarterback play. And that's truthfully like that's what your top university programs – you know, if you want to win a national championship, you want to compete, you've got to have really great quarterback play or you've got to have an all-time roster when some other folks are down. And I think that's kind of what – Honestly, that's what Georgia ran into this these two years. They ran into, you know, they had a great roster and everybody else was down a little bit in some ways. Uh, the only thing I worry about with this class uh, is just the overall depth of the defensive line, you know, uh, inside defensive tackle. You know, you've got PJ and you've got linebackers and you've got that. But I will have to see, I think, a lot hinge on probably how guys like Marcus Strong and then – Chris, help me if like, I, I never can enunciate his name correctly, but the junior Derek college LeBlanc. kid. What about Derek well, LeBlanc? LeBlanc. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, a lot really, right? Like probably hinges on how LeBlanc develops. Uh, I, or Woka. Well, maybe, maybe they maybe they signed Woka, Woka, Woka Choka. I don't know. He's still I, out. He's still he's still floating out there. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a hope for me. Like that was the guy I was going to mention. I guess I forget about LeBlanc because he's been committed forever. But I mean, LeBlanc's got – high-end ability. I said when he was in high school, when you watch his senior film and then you walk back to, to was it uh, New York Giants or Jets defensive tackle out in USC? Is it Leonard Taylor? Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams. You know, they're similar. You know, both of them were 6'4", 6'5", 260 pounds and Leonard Williams just grew into a, by his third year was, was 300. And that's, I think, what you hope with LeBlanc is like, hey, you come out of a Fred shirt freshman year and you're 290, 295 and, and Schmitty's done great work with you. Like, you know, it's just going to take Oklahoma because of previous recruiting, right? There's a, a thin margin, uh, at defensive tackle. And yeah, I mean, we, we need guys like Peyton Bowen and PJ Edabar. We need our five stars to be five stars, right? We don't need the Buki. Um, we don't need the Buki Caleb Smith, five stars. We need our five-star defenders to be, to be Harold Perkins, um, uh, I'm trying to pull the guy from LSU that came from Tex from Dallas at safety. Um, oh, Jamal Adams. Jamal, we need we need to be Jamal Adams. That kind of impact, right? We need those guys hit the ground running. We need Desan McCullough to click it to put it all together. But if those if those guys start clicking it and are starters next year with some of our other pieces, then all of a sudden you start looking at our defense and start going. Okay. I mean, uh, Desan McCullough, you know, Canick and, and, you know, and maybe Stutzman puts it all together this year. That's a, that's a big, fast linebacker unit. And then you're talking Gentry Williams, Vickers or Rowe at safe, you know, at cornerback and then Peyton Bowen and uh, the other Bowen at safety. All of a sudden, you know, you, you start talking about some, that's, that's about five or that's about seven top 100 players on our defense. Yeah. No, it's, like I can say it's there. It says that Diaz and tackles that one spot and uh, where you're like, okay, there's just thin margin for error. But you know what, Chris, you kind of nailed it right there. I think as you were saying, like, hey, Oklahoma needs these players to hit. I'm thinking, gosh, is that a thin, you know, margin of error? It's it like, is. Not it really. Is. It is. But at the same time, like the reason Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia are who they are, it's because those kids hit. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're you know? Georgia's, Georgia's top defensive lineman. In those playoff games, other than Jalen Carter, was the freshman they signed. Um, yeah, uh, Michael Michael Williams. He was the guy 
he got hurt, but he was putting the pressure and they were playing, obviously, you know, some of the other linebackers they were playing with, you know, smell, smell Monden was on there, was playing linebacker. He was a redshirt freshman, real, you know, great player, great recruit that we, oh, you tried, you know, was talking to OU at one point. So it's, you know, you start talking about some of the guys we have and, uh, and, and, you know, Brent Venables was teasing us today saying that, that, you know, um, uh, that Carter, Carter's up to 217, 218. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, I'm like, oh, so, you know, so that's another level. That's another group, you know, and Sam Omosigo. I mean, that's a, that's a big athletic linebacker group with the best linebacker coach in the country to mold it. So, um, oh, you just, oh, you just need to get lucky with, with Bothroyd or one of these defensive tackles, you know, with Corey Robinson coming back, Roberson coming back, you know, maybe to your point, Derek LeBlanc has a, you know, and, and, um, and Halton, maybe, you know, they, both those guys get the, get the size weight that we need to just go with their other athletic ability. And all of a sudden, you know, we've, we've got some dudes up front and, and, and SEC offensive tackles are in fear of um, PJ Adeware. I mean, it's, it's, that's the game plan. That's the game plan. Well, I think so uh, I think it's it's possible. It's possible, but I saying they're going to win the SEC next year is 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 fool's gold. But you know, if Jackson if Jackson Arnold just flies with this offense, all bets are off. Well, also, I you know I mentioned earlier that we're not going to have any portal talk, but <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and bring it up. You know, you have a say. This defense has a, a good good year on the field. We see the improvement. This team wins 10 games. The trajectory is obviously pointed almost straight up from there. You're going into 2024. You're going into the SEC. There's a buzz about you. You had a big recruiting class, another big recruiting class, right? An- you know, another loaded, big recruiting class. Loaded with David Stone, Williams, Waneri, Peyton but, Pierce, those guys, right? Right. But... OU and in, in Venables is not faced with this massive roster turnover that he was this, <clears throat> this off season where we have, we're going to have uh, what four or five, maybe even six portal starters, possibly um, at least, at least that many in the two deep, he had to go out, spend all these resources going after all these portal defenders next year. I think they're going to be in a much better position to hone in on two or three specific guys. Maybe it's all at defensive tackle. They'll they'll yeah. have the, the the chips to go all in on fewer numbers, and maybe we're we're seeing next year, you know, one of those kind of quote unquote elite portal guys on the defensive line, hopefully specifically defensive tackle coming in. So I, I don't think that needs, that can be discounted either that, you know, the portal will help next year, maybe even more because it's a little bit more direct to what we need and possibly a little bit more elite. Um, Caleb, I know that <laughs> portal and elite don't quite compute all the time, but if there's one or two guys out there like it and we go all in on those two guys, I think we have a much better chance of, getting a true difference maker on the roster going into the, the SEC. Yeah, no, I, I think you guys both touched on it, right? Like to, to Chris's point, this 24 class, uh, how it stacks up with 
defensive linemen that uh, whether if some are out of region that Todd Bates has great relationships with, but particularly in region guys that are really good that weren't haven't been in region for a couple of years. You know, uh, it, it's just been, you know, it's, it hasn't, it hasn't been that way. So they're, they're poised to be able to snag some of those guys. And, uh, I mean, they're really not, I think one thing I'm looking through all of it, I think I immediately, you, you see, you know, when you look through records, production guys in the NFL, all of that, you see, okay, what Oklahoma is, you know, like we knew, right. They're that little notch a little bit effectively behind Alabama, uh, in Georgia, which, you know, is, is to be expected. I think everybody, that's not, that's not, uh, breaking news, but they're right there. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Part of me says, Oh gosh, it's a thin margin of error, but the reality is, you know, let any class for any of these schools not hit. And what happens is you end up six and seven, like Oklahoma, this did this year. Or, that's or kind you're, of, you're four and eight, like A&M and they had, they would seem to have had an even wider margin of error with what they brought. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like that's what it comes down to. And I just don't think, you know, to your point, Matt, like as the further this gets into where these are like just Brent skies. And uh, I mean, we could, you talk portal. I think it's easy to say, look at the huge upgrade they had this year. I, I mean, everyone knows I am kind of an asshole. So I'll just say it, but I mean, they, they, they shed one double a players across the board and they went out and added by and large almost across the board power five starters like that's a big upgrade to say hey we're going to lose guys to texas state and abilene christian you know and to nobody because nobody wants some of these guys because they've watched their practice film they there is no game film or they've seen the game film you know you've got abilene christian taking flyers on kids going boy we hope he works out uh I mean, ASU, ASU taking a huge gamble on Clayton Smith, right? Oh, absolutely. Just saying, well, you know. And and ASU's a program in disarray, right? I mean, let's just say it is. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they're still staring down, wondering, like, what are the NCAA infractions going to be when they finally Mm -hmm. come for what we did during COVID, you know, recruiting on campus and off campus. Uh, So, yeah, they're in total disarray again top to bottom uh they were in any place to say no to hardly anybody but i mean they they've turned it around I, I i think in my mind uh and again it just goes to you know oklahoma was great it's been great the last 20 years when they've got really good and high-end top quarterback play you know from josh heupel to you know, to Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts. It's been those guys, and they've got that guy in Jackson Arnold. So, you know, I think they're poised to be to be right there. All right, we'll finish with two two last uh, quick little mini roundtable discussions. We'll we'll make it quick. Uh, we've we've talked about the impact of moving to the SEC. What recruiting territories do you think OU will be a little bit more effective in with that SEC badge on their chest? Uh, I I think Missouri is is a good spot for for us to to try to have a stranglehold on. Um, I think we're we're that tier above Mizzou. Uh, Missouri guys have looked at OU in the past. Um, you know, guys like Caden Green. Uh, I think that's. That's an area between Kansas City and St. Louis that you can kind of put your stamp there and 
fill in three, four, maybe even five guys of your class, you know, 10, 10 to 20% of your class from that one area that, that has good football players and they'll be playing in the SEC. I think, I think that's a good area to, to kind of target. Uh, Caleb, what, what do you think? No, I think you, 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 you hit a really good one. Uh, because I think, I think you touched on a really good one there. Uh, their football's gotten a little bit better and probably in the KC and St. Louis areas the last few years. Uh, I think the last guy Oklahoma pulled out of St. Louis was impact was, was, I mean, everybody I think would take, you know, a one or two Ronnie Perkins every year at defensive end. Uh, you know, to be different, I'll say Georgia. Uh, and good call, good call. And if that may be like, hey, pie in the sky, can Oklahoma get in Georgia? I think they can, uh, because again, I just think of like the long tail of this in three or four years when you've got kids that are in eighth grade right now who are getting introduced to college football. When every morning they get up and ESPN is talking about Oklahoma and Georgia and Alabama and Texas, and these are the guys that are dominating every conversation they hear, and these are the coaches they're seeing. I think the perception of Oklahoma for kids in the Southeast in the next couple of years shifts, right, from, well, you know, they're not SEC to, you know, to your guys' point, they're wearing an SEC patch, so it's, it's different. And Georgia – I mean, just pours talent so much so that UGA can't sign at all. You can go in and you can get, you can take high end NFL kids that Georgia just did not have room for. Uh, I mean, you could be just their leftovers and, and sign four, five, six top end starters that are going to be all conference level. And, uh, you know, it's Auburn does it, Alabama does it, Clemson does it, uh, Florida, A&M, everybody. A&M, A&M started to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, not not being a homer, I think this is just the reality of when you pull, okay, like success rates, NF players in the NFL, right? Which this is they all want. You can Oklahoma can walk in and say, yeah, we've got more players in the NFL than Florida. We've got more players in the NFL. I think not Florida. We get over than Texas A and M. We've got more than Auburn. We've got we do we we've been better than these guys. We are better than these guys. Come play with us. So I would say Georgia. Chris, do you have a possible other state? Well, out of state, I have a region we talk about a lot. I'm seeing a huge billboard in Dallas that says, OU, Dallas's SEC team. Uh, okay. I think this helps us in Dallas a lot. I think this boosts us in Dallas. It defines. We were we were the Big Twelve big dog in Dallas, and then Texas A and M with that whole we're SD, we're the SEC program in Texas, kind of hurt a little bit and extended that. And Alabama came into Texas a lot. Um, you can see that from just any number of players. I think it's kind of saying, hey, the SEC, everybody else in the SEC, stay away. We're OU, and we own Dallas. You know, I'll, I'll say this to speak of areas. The one, and I thought this for maybe a little while, uh, is for Houston, for Houston to be more of a feeder into Oklahoma. It's a, it's a, it, it's a, you know, Caleb, that's a, that ever since I've been following OU recruiting, why we can't do better in Houston is like the perpetual problem. You know, it, and it's interesting, right? Because you go back to, uh, 
like gosh, some of those late eighties, eighties, right. Uh, early nineties, a lot of like the really good players that were coming into Oklahoma, uh, Cedric Jones, Travian Smith, a lot of these defenders are Houston area guys. So, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that during that time, I don't know if it's, don't know why it, it I partly, I partly think it is a lot of these Houston kids. They, they have more, they have less of an issue rather the last 10 years going to Alabama, LSU, Florida and Georgia, they'll shoot off to the SEC, no problem. So I think again, when when it's all under one umbrella and there's not this infighting of these, you know, when Alabama and and Florida can't go into Houston and say, oh, you don't want to play in Oklahoma, they're not in the SEC, and they have to come into Houston and say, oh yeah, we have to play at Oklahoma. They've got more, you know, they do have more kids in the NFL than us, but you know, when I have to answer everything, but yeah, they did beat us last year, but yeah, they are, you know, ranked higher than us, but you know, it's, I think it, I think it helps change. So maybe, maybe Houston would be an area. I'd love, I'd love to see it. It's, it's the least last 20 years, it's been the uncrackable, at least for defensive players, the uncrackable territory. I mean, it's just like, like a, it, it, it's baffling, right? You know, yeah, number one, number to. one court, number one cornerback year over year is in the Houston area and never considering OU. It's just like a, yeah. it's like a, it's like <laughs> a bad so narrative. It's like a bad narrative. It's like, really? You know, it's like, you know, you get a flash of a hope that they might think about OU and then, <laughs> it just never happens. Yeah. I'm like, okay. We need to get, we need to get Gary Gibbs on the pod and ask him what connections they have at that time that Aubrey Beavers, you know, Cedric Jones, Travis yeah. Smith, yeah. that all these Houston defenders were loading up and heading to Oklahoma. Like, what was it? Yeah, Zarek Rollins as well. Like, yeah. Aaron Tanner, all of those guys are from the Houston. All area. those guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Baron Tanner is a good one. I bet I, I know what it was. I bet it was lots and lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> under Gary under Gary Gibbs? I doubt it. <laughs> well, I was thinking 80s, you know, you're kind of well, yeah. They were yeah, freewheeling yeah. a little the, bit more the, back then. Sure, the Swiss was doing whatever you needed to get done, but um Barry, winners always do. Yeah, but I'm not sure Barry, I'm not sure the, the Gibber was the Gibber was doing that, but yeah, yeah. But well, this this kind of is a good segue into the last point we're going to make uh, our last roundtable question. Um, you know, we'll, we'll stick with regions because the rumor right now is every sec team will have three permanent opponents. So every year, each team will play three set other teams, not in a pod situation or divisions or anything like that. OU will have three dedicated opponents. It you know it, recruiting's a factor. Your the region's a factor. Um, even just prestige is a factor here. So when you kind of combine all those things, Caleb, what what do you think your favorite three permanent opponents for OU would be? Gosh, honestly, that's a weird way of asking that question. <laughs> what do I see? I hear favorite as opposed to best. Just keeping you on your toes. Yeah, because when I think of I don't. I didn't think this in the beginning. And again, we had a good thread on the board. Uh, a great, great thread about this. Really, yeah, and, really great discussion. And it turned my. Uh, I don't know who it was, and it was maybe Soup. I'll give him a shout out there if it was him that kind of turned my opinion. I thought, yeah, I think he's right. 
because uh, a lot of people have said Florida. So I'll go with my three would be Texas, Arkansas, and Missouri. And let me tell you why. To your point, Matt, I think beating Missouri, here's a good stat for everybody. Since 1984, Oklahoma is 20-2 and two against Missouri in football. Right. So doing that again over the next, you know, 35 years would be great. Uh, and just pulling all that top talent out of St. Louis, out of Kansas City, I think would be, to your point, it would be, it'd be big. Right. I mean, look at the defensive line. If it's PJ Adabore and, and Williams and Larry and it's these guys, like you're, you're in a good spot. Uh, and the reason I would say Arkansas as opposed to LSU, who I really liked in that scenario, or even Ole Miss, because you get to go to the Grove. Ole Miss, I'd put on there. But the reason I'd say Arkansas is, I mean, Arkansas is on par with Missouri. I think Oklahoma goes, you know, if not 20 and two, they go 19 and three, right? Maybe 18 and four. You know, I don't think they would go that bad, honestly. I think Missouri's been better than Arkansas over that time period. And so I, I think it goes back to kind of what I said of I think winning is what ultimately gets all the top kids coming to Oklahoma. And when you look at you're going to have three, which is Texas, Missouri, Arkansas, that means those next six games are going to come from if you break it down into a tier one, tier two, tier one is Georgia, Bama, LSU, Florida, A&M, Tennessee. Tier twos, Auburn, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Kentucky, and Vandy. If you take three teams from each tier, in any given year, you might play, you know, I mean, you might be looking at Georgia, LSU, AM, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Kentucky as your additional six. So I, I think trying to load that up with, you know, uh, a bunch of other stuff, I would be maybe, let's not conservative, but. Let's let's get as many wins as possible. <laughs> Chris, what are what are your thoughts? Or you, do you want me to to bite the bullet first? Well, why don't you go ahead, Glenn? I will, I'll promise not to try and repeat too much of what you guys say. So, well, that's it'll be a little easier because I'm going to repeat exactly what Caleb just said. <laughs> uh, I think. <laughs> In my mind, I, I thought it would just it would it would have to be those three um, for for a couple different factors. You know, you have the regions of the SEC now where Missouri, Oklahoma, and Arkansas kind of naturally um, form a little region, a little pocket of of the conference together. Um, you know, I, I see Missouri playing OU, Arkansas, and maybe uh, Tennessee. Um, as as their three and Arkansas, obviously they're going to play LSU. Then you'd have OU, and then maybe throw in Mississippi State for them. So I think it sets up kind of perfectly for that kind of combo. Um, Florida, I mean, I think it would be nice, yeah, to have a recruiting draw down there. But OU will already be in the SEC. OU already recruits Florida. Um, how how big of a difference would that make that one game every year? And if Florida gets their shit together, um, which they haven't since uh, Urban's days, um, you know, it's it's like Georgia was a sleeping giant. I mean, they've got great talent. They've got uh, top two or three talent in the country in that state. Um, if, they, if they can kind of get it together, 
you're playing Texas and a good Florida program at the same time. Uh, I think a little bit of what you said, Caleb, just competition wise, I think Mizzou and Arkansas would be great. We get that bump in Missouri. Um, we get two easy wins for the most part. Um, and then you play your Texas game. That's your, your big game every year. And then, you know, Chris, like you're saying, you're rotating in Alabama, Georgia, et cetera. So I just think naturally those, those are the three that I, I would go with just based on the map, based on the history between, I know Missouri's not really OU's traditional rival, but um, there's a history there. Um, I, I just think it, it just makes too much sense not to it be that, that those three teams. Well, if we're, if we're going to go that route, then, then then I should go full full bore and say <clears throat> it should be Texas, Missouri, and Vandy as our permanent uh, permanent three. I mean, if we're if we're going to try and rack up wins, Vandy's the the guarantee, best way to guarantee to do that. Hey, Vandy's um, a Vandy's a fun away trip. Uh, you know, Nashville's fun. Good food, good music. If that's your music scene. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking that Florida and because Florida's the only SEC team, right? In the state of Florida. That's right. Miami, Miami and FSU seem to start, seem to be getting their act together somewhat. FSU, definitely. We saw them on the field. They beat us. Looks like Norvell has kind of turned the, you know, to use the cliche, turned the corner there. And if the, the worst game day coach in America, the highest the highest paid worst game day coach in America uh, in Miami can ever figure his act together or, or hire, not fire uh, good de- offensive coordinators. It's, it's allegedly, if you can get kids from Florida. If with two of the, if one of the three Florida teams are bad, right. But if all three of them are good, uh, the old rumor goes that Florida recruiting becomes next to impossible. So, I think the ability to go to Gainesville every other year, beat up Florida, continue there, continue to put the boot on their neck and not let them get off the ground. And, and we know our staff can recruit in Florida. I mean, the LSU, the LSU thing sounds really attractive. Like, yeah, we'll get recruits from LSU. It's like, really? <laughs> when, when, when does that happen? Um, so I think the I think the LSU is a trap. That's a trap right there. That's a tiger trap in the in the swamp, right? You get eaten up by by tigers, swamp tigers down there trying to pull that off. Um, I think A and M, you know, who cares, right? We we they, you know, we we put the boot on them in the Big Twelve more than anybody, right? I mean, their average margin of defeat in Norman was like thirty five points. I mean, it wasn't just that seventy seven to nothing game. It was you know, every time they came to Norman, we beat the crap out of them. So, at a, a new A and M series doesn't hold too much interest to me. So Missouri sounds great. I buy this, you know, Caleb's map says that of the on three top 300 players in the nation, there are eight players in Missouri. That's a nice number. I take four of that every year. Yeah. So I think Missouri's a no brainer. Everyone's saying Columbia is boring. It's a boring rivalry. Shut up. Don't listen. We need a win. We need the alum. We need all of the players we're signing from Missouri for their families. We got to go to a sh- short ride to go to Missouri and watch us beat the crap out of Missouri. Um, so Missouri's a no-brainer. Texas is obviously is the no-brainer. And I think it's just, you know, it's 
I think Tennessee could be a really fun rivalry. I think that could be really, you know, great game day atmosphere. Knoxville, um, the Hypo V, Hypo V Venables, you know, that has a lot, has a lot of spice to it. Um, but I, if you had to, you know, I, I, Arkansas probably makes the most sense geographically, everything else. We, oh, you just never really made much way recruiting wise. In Arkansas, uh, Arkansas. It's a great year in Arkansas this year. Keith Jackson. Yeah. Yes, that was 1985. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark Bradley. I mean, it's it's Danny Bradley's son is the last big contributor we had from Arkansas, right? Yeah. Was there someone else like? I'm oh. I'm scraping the barrel for a name. Stacey Wilkins certainly didn't contribute very much. <laughs> right. The, the, the DB. The D, actually Norwood was from Arkansas, wasn't he? That's right. Yeah, he's he's doing having a good NFL career. Good NFL career. Would have loved to have seen him under Venables. But that's like one guy in twenty years, right? <laughs> um, um, the, you know, two guys. One who was no huge legacy at a walk on, and then and then another DB. That's in the space of twenty years. So um, Arkansas probably makes yeah. the most sense. But to me, if you could keep Florida the boot on Florida and keep recruiting Florida, that that's. That, that's that's the win-win for me and and maybe having the more difficult game. Yeah. Well, no, I and, don't disagree. And the old SEC format, I mean, they they didn't shy away from Florida being so far away. Their their permanent cross-division opponent was LSU. So yeah. um, you know, that that theory does fit. Um, you know, does uh, does LSU say, yeah, we want to keep that Florida game? I mean, I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see. Which of the rivalries get broken with? If, I, if I'm Auburn, I'm all for severing the Georgia rivalry, right? Like, that's the oldest. I think it's like the oldest rivalry. I know, South. but I know, but you, you've one. got Alabama already, and you're going to be. That's going to be you're going to be your threesome. Should be Florida, Alabama, and Georgia, and that's the threesome you're going to take every year. Yeah, I would say some this part of me. It's tough. I, I don't see it's going to be. It's I'm going to be. There's going to be a lot – being in the SEC, being in Atlanta, there's going to be a lot of – there's going to be a lot of fur from a lot of mascots flying around once they name the, the permanent threes. Well, here's, here's, a, here's <laughs> yeah. a wild card for you. Who, who would South Carolina's three be? Oh. Well, they, 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 scream if they, they scream if they lose Georgia, right? But I guess – but they may not be able to keep Georgia. Yeah. Uh, if I, I if I was if I was Beam, I'd be like, "We're losing Georgia." I'm so sorry about it. I'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's okay, guys. That's okay." Fine. So so they lose Georgia, then I guess Fl- Florida is probably the closest natural option. Yeah, and yep. then what? I mean, are, should we be talking about South Carolina being a possible wild card for us? Yeah, I mean, I think anything is. I'm not going to be surprised. I, Texas, right, and then Missouri, Arkansas. We're getting one of those two, right? It, it just makes yeah. no sense ge- geographically. We won't get one of those two, maybe both of them. But if you told me we got Kentucky or South Carolina, I'd be like, all right. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, I mean, there's no logical rhyme or reason to it. But, you know, at some point, you know, if you're Kentucky and, you know, you're being told you're going to get Tennessee, South Carolina, and, and, Bama, maybe, or Van, you know, Vandy, you know, um, you know, 
that's a win if you're Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, it's a win if you're Kentucky, yeah. right? You'd be like, yeah, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so See, I don't know if we don't get some wild, some I don't, I don't, you know, I think we get some wild card third permanence in this in order to try and balance things out a little bit. And if I'm if I'm the SEC, I hope they basically say, you know, guys, this is fine. We'll, at this is we're gonna do this. So we're gonna do this for like six years, right, or four years. We're gonna do this in four for four years. Let everybody play through a pods of having everybody played everybody for four years, right? Then we'll shuffle it again. Yeah. Then, well, then I, we'll, we'll shuffle. We'll shuffle one of your permanent opponents based upon your feedback again. I think that's yeah, that's sure. that's, that's the point. I mean, that's the that's the that's the whole reason why this has been so skewed is because it just stuck to you know just like the Big Ten should have reshuffled their roster completely, right? They should be like, okay, we'll make sure Ohio State and Michigan play every year, but we need to put them in different conf- different brackets, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I, mean, I love just, I love this model. Like, yeah, I think this, this is yeah. Awesome. This is this is this is the future. This is this is this is ASPN's like dream, right? I mean, you know, because they're talking about they're talking about getting so many more quality games. Oh man, every, so, every yeah. four years. I mean, it's so a look dream package for them. Uh, so here's an idea for you guys. Like, I I broke this down on my little uh, a little chart together, or whatever. I wrote it on paper, and again, I rank them like one through twelve outside of the three, right? So the three being Texas and Dallas, let's say Missouri and Columbia, let's say Arkansas and Norman, right? But the other other ones, I just ranked them down. And let's say, you know, you don't play Georgia, but you have to play Alabama. I mean, in a given year, this could be Oklahoma's conference schedule, which would be, okay, you're going to play Texas and Dallas. You're going to play Missouri and Columbia. You're going to get Arkansas and Norman. You're going to get Alabama at home. You're going to go to Florida. You're going to get Tennessee at home. You're going to go to South Carolina. You're going to get Mississippi State at home, and you're going to end conference play. Or would say one of the games is going to be at Vanderbilt in Nashville. I mean, if you're an OU fan and that's your your season ticket package rolls to you, and you're like, okay, I get a Texas ticket, I get an Arkansas ticket, Alabama's in Norman, Tennessee's in Norman, and Mississippi State's in Norman, and I'm going to go to Nashville because I'm going to go to Nashville. So, I mean, that's – I would think fans would be excited about the possibilities. Yeah, so I, I, I just think it's I – mean, I'm projecting our third game is going to be a pod game. It's going to be a future pod discussion point. All right. So, well, you got what we expected with one for the, with the first two. What do we think of the Kentucky series? I mean, I just I, – you know, I just, I just think there's – I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see some – uh, have you guys ever seen the way FIFA does the World Cup, girls? Yeah, it's uh, kind I, of... I know you. I know you guys aren't big soccer fans necessarily, but they basically have like uh, the home country, like Heidi Klum. It's in Germany, right? Heidi Klum, you know, rolls these sort of uh, sort of these bingo, these bingo, bingo things, and pulls out little footballs, opens the football up, and has the the, the flag. I'm kind of expecting, hoping the SEC does this, right? Like everybody's, it's the SEC, you know, ESPN made, you know, it's like an hour special on ESPN when they do this. So I'm sort of hoping the on the ESPN network, they do this and they, and they have, um, I don't know, name a super attractive girl from the South, right? Just uh, who? See, I was thinking more along the lines of a hillbilly set on the back of a pickup truck, smoking a marble <laughs> red, drinking a beer, going, my Tennessee balls are going to play at. 
Uh, or maybe they unleashed the bait, the LSU Tiger and whatever mascot he rips up. That's who LSU gets to play. I don't know. You can be very creative about this if you wanted to be. Um, yeah. You know, so just something you, like that. I just I just wish they'd, they'd have a little fun with it. Like they'd have a, you know, the SEC, like the, you know, like the NFL makes that, uh, you know, you know, drawn out. The NFL schedule is announced kind of thing. And you know, if I'm the SEC, you know, do the same thing like the NFL. I'm going to have some fun with it. Like, you know, all right, we have Tom, you know, from Jasper, Georgia, shooting shooting uh, moonshine can canisters representing the teams for Georgia. Or some over-the-top thing like that, like the, the Florida Gator. You know, you know, whatever mascot he eats is who Florida is the third. You know, we got three teams for Georgia to play potentially, and the Florida mascot is going to eat one of them, you know, or something like that. I don't know. Um, we maybe got off a little bit off the rails here, but I just think, I just think OU fans should prepare for themselves that it legitimately could be anybody other than Georgia and Alabama. Oh, I think one thing I took from, I don't know if anyone saw Sankey on Feinbaum, I only watched like the. Two thirty, two minute, two minute and thirty clip uh, that they cut up. But when he said he was talking about, you know, it's great to have Texas A and M and Texas back. You know, that's a great rivalry play to Thanksgiving, and to have these historic rivals, Missouri and Oklahoma. I immediately thought, okay, I know Oklahoma's getting Missouri, and I know Oklahoma's getting Texas. Who's the a Texas? Texas is getting a quiche third team, right? If they have to play Oklahoma and A and M. They're getting like they're getting they're getting Vandy, I think. That's what I think. I, honestly, he said this. He, he gave that hint. He goes, and hey, we've got the two best music towns in America with Nashville and Austin. <laughs> and so I thought, yeah, that's who. Because yeah. to your point, right? There are some programs where, like, if you're Florida and you go, well, our two rivals are at least two of them are LSU and Georgia. Like, how is it we get LSU and Georgia and then South Carolina, but Kentucky's going to get Vanderbilt? in Mississippi state and South Carolina, like that doesn't ring. Yeah. Yeah. Our fans, our fans enjoy it, but we don't need our, you know, you know what kicked in the dirt twice a year. Yeah. It's going to be Tennessee and Alabama and and the Georgia Auburn thing are going to be just fascinating to see if they, they, they just flat out keep those, lock those in and what they do. I think they do. I think think they they do too. But uh, I literally, I could, I could see us having anybody in that third game group. I say because you know the equivalent to that. If you told an Auburn or Georgia fan, "Hey, you guys aren't going to play," that would be Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC and Stanky rolling in, going, "Hey, guys, we don't think that Red River Shootout thing really works. We're not going to. You guys aren't going to play each other anymore." I mean, every uh, you would see, you know, a riot, and you would see people call for Joe. They well, the, the TV, the TV guys would be like, "Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting idea. Let's let's <laughs> workshop that again in ten years. But let's just schedule yeah. OU Texas for right now." But yeah, yeah, you're right. In Georgia, right now is looking at Auburn and Florida, and do and you probably get, South and, Carolina? Just throw yeah. them the the week. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, but you try and give Georgia? Do you try to give Georgia Kentucky or Bandy or somebody else? I mean. I, 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 it's going to be fascinating to see when it comes out. And I think Texas, Missouri make a lot of sense. Arkansas was the most logical third team. And you kind of have that little, that little ring. I have that, you know, that SEC regional bucket taking care of TV sex wise. But I do anything, think any, anything else, could, anything, nothing else, which nothing else happening really would surprise me. 
I would say this. I think any Oklahoma fan that has ever dealt with an Arkansas fan, you know, two things. One, they're bat shit crazy. And then two, you <laughs> would really enjoy to put them in their place because they have this very much inflated sense when they look at Oklahoma of saying, well, you guys, uh, there's a resentment there in every Arkansas fan I've ever been around where they look at Oklahoma and their success and say, if you guys are doing it, it's, it's, you know, it's, Somehow it's easier for you. We have a harder path. There's something that's holding us back. We're actually better than you guys. Uh, and so to have the ability to just put it on them every year would be fun. But I, I, you're, I think you're right, Chris, right? It's going to be that third game's going to probably going to be a coin flip. Now, I think we should end this before we insult more regional stereotypes, fan bases, <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm and, confer- and, con- and conferences. Conferences, and, I'm with you. Uh, and conferences in general. So I know I've taken pot shots at least three or four. So is our, is our legal department ready for this podcast? What legal department? There we go. I think <laughs> that says it all. All right, guys. Well, great episode as usual uh, for everybody. As another reminder, make sure uh, you don't miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your favorite platform of choice. Uh, for more information on all the players we've discussed, uh, the upcoming visitor list, uh, the SEC discussion. You know, again, there's some great topics on the board, a lot of conversation going on. Uh, check it out, Sooners360.com, uh, and we'll see everybody around the water cooler. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.